Welcome back, everybody. I am Jeff Cross, your host of Friends with Employee Benefits and HR. Hope you and your families are all staying healthy and safe. Uh, We're recording this episode in week six of our work from home mandate, and it looks like we're starting to see some light at the end of the tunnel, potentially. So uh, we'll keep our eye on that. Today, we're really excited to have Paul Bartosik, Director of Sales at Harvard Pilgrim on the podcast. Paul's going to share with us what uh, Harvard Pilgrim is doing to help contain costs and enhance the member experience. Paul, uh, well, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you, Jeff. And uh, I do like the beard. I think the last I saw the beard was No Shave November, so uh, I like to see that it's back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. It's, it's No Shave April now. Paul, we we do want to get into all the good things that Harvard Pilgrim is working on in terms of uh, kind of simplifying the healthcare and insurance experience and in Connecticut and cost containment, but we'd be remiss to not first address the elephant in the room right out, right out of the gate. And so can you just kind of share some of the things that Harvard Pilgrim has done and is doing in response to this COVID-19 pandemic? Yeah, sure. And, and I appreciate the question, Jeff. And, uh, you know, thank you very much to One Digital for including Harvard Pilgrim uh, in this podcast. Um, I've seen some of your other podcasts before, and I think it's a great, uh, great thing that you're doing for your, uh, for your clients and constituents. So again, thank you on behalf of Harvard Pilgrim for having me um, today. Uh, you know, so you're absolutely right. It is the elephant in the room. Um, I think, as you know, and probably all of, uh, all of the guests who will be watching this podcast know, uh, in some ways, COVID-19 has, has certainly been all-consuming um, for a lot of people, uh, you know, guessing that a lot of your audience will be human resource professionals. Um, obviously, a lot falls on their plate, um, you know, as well. Just when I look at the uh, the HR people at Harvard Pilgrim and, and all of the um, issues that they've tried to help us uh, tackle, and unfortunately, and I'm sure like other large organizations in Connecticut, we had a very good business continuity plan already in place. Um, not that we ever foresaw a pandemic of this magnitude. Um, but certainly the foundation was there. Um, so then jumping into you know, what we're doing for members and, and our employer groups, uh, we uh, certainly did recognize early on the importance of waiving cost sharing um, for not only the diagnosis, but also the treatment of COVID-19. Um, so we were uh, you know, sure that we uh, came out of the gate with that. Um, also telemedicine, that's always been somewhat important to us. Um, and you may not realize this, but uh, even prior to the COVID-19 um, pandemic, in our small group segment, i.e. those groups under 50, uh, we already had embedded in our small group plans, uh, no cost telemedicine through our partner doc on demand. So that was a foundation we actually already had in place for our small group customers. Um, given the COVID-19 pandemic, we've actually expanded that uh, to include uh, no cost share for telemedicine, not only through Doc on also other maybe less traditional telemedicine means um, for our entire population. Uh, so all of our all of our fully insured business, um, you know, does have access to telemedicine um, at no cost share, and that does include um, phone consultations through I guess our brick and mortar um, provider groups as well. Um, in addition to that. Um, you know, we also are, are very uh, much concerned about members with uh, prescriptions. Um, so we are allowing a lot of flexibility there through our PBM. Uh, one great example of that is allowing members to get early refills um, and then trying to coordinate with pharmacies to make sure members are getting the prescriptions uh, that they need. Um, or if they did have to uh, leave, 
their residents and go somewhere else to shelter in place, making sure that, uh, again, they're able to get those prescriptions. Um, other than that, you know, in terms of premium deferrals, I know that's something that probably many of your clients are asking about. Uh, obviously, Harvard Pilgrim is complying with the executive orders uh, that are in place uh, in Connecticut, as well as, uh, you know, throughout the New England um, region. So we're certainly working with our employers. One of our key areas is we want people to stay insured. Um, and we're really trying to figure out how can we be flexible to make sure that uh, the group insurance market continues to be very robust uh, during probably one of the greatest times of need I've certainly seen in, in, my, um, in my career. Um, in addition, we've also gotten very flexible in terms of underwriting guidelines. Um, so we recognized early on that we may have many employers that were furloughing employees um, and they may wish to try to continue coverage for those employees. So we've actually gotten very flexible in terms of making sure that furloughed employees, although not working, would still be able to continue to be covered under the group um, group health plan. So that's another um, avenue that we have taken uh, for all of our, all of our clients. Um, and then I guess what I'm most proud of is separate what we're doing with uh, employers um, and our broker partners is the community involvement. Um, so through our foundation, the Harvard Pilgrim uh, Healthcare Foundation, uh, throughout New England, we've donated already over $3 million to various charities. Um, and that includes some substantial investment here in Connecticut. Uh, so for example, uh, within the last several weeks, we announced a significant donation to the Hartford Foundation. Uh, you may be familiar that they've developed a COVID-19 relief fund. Um, and then also recognizing that uh, food security is very important. That's always been a mission of ours, yep. um, particularly in this, uh, this point in time. So we've done some significant donations to the Connecticut Food Bank, uh, Food Share, as well as some other local food banks um, as, uh, as an example. Um, we also uh, were pretty pleased to partner with a, uh, a clinic here in Connecticut that focuses on mental health services for at-risk youth. Um, as you can imagine, they basically needed to shut down their brick and mortar operation and move to full telehealth. Uh, so we made a donation and a grant to them to help them shore up that, uh, that capability. Um, and then last but not least, uh, from an employee perspective, um, every employee at Harvard Pilgrim, and this was even before the COVID-19 uh, pandemic occurred, um, every employee through Harvard Pilgrim has the ability to direct a mini grant of $500 to the charity of their choice um, throughout New England. Um, and so far this quarter, um, we've donated through that mini grant uh, donation process over $85,000 um, to organizations focused on uh, solving COVID-19 issue for um, members uh, and, and residents in, in their communities throughout the uh, New England region. Um, and then last but not least, recognizing that our own employees are a very important part of what we do. Um, we have developed an employee relief fund for our own employees. Um, so an employee, if needed at Harvard Pilgrim, has the ability to confidentially um, apply for a, a loan, and a, actually a grant of up to $1,500 um, to help them and their family should they uh, need that service. Wow, that's a, that's a long list of stuff. I particularly, uh, I, I love to hear the kind of corporate giving and you guys being a responsible corporate citizen. Uh, I don't know, a couple, couple of podcasts ago, we sort of addressed the uh, the mental health aspect of 
you know, COVID-19 and the challenges that sort of people being laid off, furloughed, best case scenario, you know, working from home or, you know, the, the stress that we're all under right now and, and the impact that it could have on our, our mental well-being. And, um, but that, that charity you referenced, Paul, that was specifically a, a charity that kind of works with youth who are dealing with mental health challenges. Is that what you said? Yeah. I mean, so as you can imagine, that organization, you know, they already have a difficult task in front of them in normal times. So it, it obviously becomes very difficult when they can no longer, through their bricks and mortar operation, continue to serve that at-risk youth. Um, so it was important to them to uh, you know, figure out how to um, integrate telehealth services which, as you can imagine, given their population, doesn't necessarily mean through video. Uh, it might right. be other, other means such as just even telephonic uh, counseling. Yeah. And they really needed to upgrade their phone system, um, really take a look at everything that they were doing, because this is not something that certainly was on their radar screen. Um, so we recognized that need and, and thought it was important to make uh, a donation to them. Yeah, now, you, you had said you're, typically you offered telehealth to your, uh, to your insured population um, with no cost share. Does that include behavioral health teleconsults? Yeah, so it does. So, uh, you know, we recognized again that, uh, especially given this pandemic, that it is uh, a full scope of issues that people are facing. So, um, you know, we did it as long as it is related to, uh, you know, a COVID-19 uh, situation. Yes, we're waiving all cost shares. Well, th this is something that just came up with, uh, with uh, our account management team uh, today. Um, so sometimes insurance companies will offer, you know, will give a, a customer a, a budget to spend on uh, wellness initiatives. You know, you might not know the answer to this yet, but but would Harvard Pilgrim consider um, if a company wanted to buy masks for their employees as they start preparing to kind of bring people back into the office or the shop or whatever, right? And but but want to be take the right precautions and have people wear masks when they're in common areas. Would would the purchasing of masks be considered a sort of a, a refundable out of the wellness fund type of expenditure? Yeah, I'd say we would take case-by-case case basis. So we, I haven't had that particular request um, so far, um, mm. but for example, we did have a request from one of our clients who does have a wellness budget. Um, what they wanted to do is uh, basically deep clean their facilities. Um, oh, so yeah. we did allow them to run a portion of that cost through the uh, through the wellness budget. So you know, yeah. we would certainly look at those on a case-by-case case basis. That's great. I mean, the, 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 it sounds generally like Harvard Pilgrim is, is you know, doing the right thing and just being flexible where, where it makes sense to be flexible. And we're all in it together, right? Well, yeah, I was about to say that. I mean, it might sound trite, but uh, we truly are all in this together. And, and that's the uh, philosophy that Harvard Pilgrim takes. You know, the, this this kind of shift to telemedicine might be one of the positives that comes out of all this madness. As you know, telemedicine has been a traditionally underutilized benefit. So uh, I suspect you're seeing increased volumes in the usage of, of teleconsultations. Sure. I, I, don't, I don't have specific numbers for you, but yeah. we definitely have seen increases in services. Um, and then what's also interesting is as we take a look at our provider uh, network, we are starting to get a lot of inquiries from traditional brick and mortar providers um, mm -hmm. who now have an interest in introducing telemedicine into their practice. Yeah. Um, whereas maybe, you know, a year or two years ago, that was not something that those uh, practices were looking to do. Starting to see a lot of interest uh, there. So I, I do think you're right. I think once this is all over and we return 
quote unquote, the somewhat normal. Um, I do think you'll see, um, you know, a broader, broader acceptance of telemedicine both by the providers as well as uh, individual members. Yeah, I think this will really force what will become more permanent changes to to the way to the delivery system and the way that we deliver care and um, it, to the positive, uh, both in terms of convenience and member experience as well as cost, which leads me to to, to kind of close out the, the COVID-19 conversation because I don't want that to be the only thing we talk about. Um, but, you know, so telemedicine costs less than a trip to the urgent care or the, the emergency room, right? Um, so we, that, that would be a cost, you know, uh, reduction as a result of COVID-19. Maybe there's probably some deferred care on non, you know, non-critical or non-essential, as they call it, services, right? But I think everyone's assuming that on a net basis, there's going to be some increase to claim cost as a result of this pandemic is that and your actuaries might not have a handle on this yet but do you have any early estimates of what this might how trend might be impacted by this yeah i really don't um and and part of it is it is so early to tell and as you can imagine the actuaries uh they're definitely looking for as much data as they can gather yeah um, and because this situation is so unprecedented there's nothing really that they can go back to look at to try to develop their analyses, so so it really is too early to tell. But uh, yeah. we're, we're planning safe to say we're planning for all all potential scenarios from that perspective. Yeah, yeah. Tr- trying to find the first carrier to kind of put a stake in the ground and say, <laughs> you know, we think this is going to be a you know X percent impact to the trend over the next 12 to 18 months or whatever whatever the case may be. The other unknown is you know now of course we're talking about another sort of spike in, in, in the fall and winter to coincide with the regular flu season. So that's, you know, this is an, on, an ongoing thing. Yeah, definitely. So I, I, I did, again, you know, our team uh, at, at the actuarial office is definitely continuing to look at this and, and they'll continue to monitor it. I, I'll say as I have information, we'll certainly share that back um, with you, but I, I really don't have a good answer at this point in time. Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, I, I assume so. I just thought I'd th- throw the question out there in case you got any early estimates um, from those those actuaries who are definitely busy beavers right now, for sure. I, we want to assure uh, all of our listeners that all of the insurance carriers are still actively working on all of the initiatives that they had in play before this pandemic broke out, which is to, I think the thing that, that all the carriers in good faith are working on are, you know, improving the member experience while also at the same time containing costs and flattening the trend curve. And so, you know, I, I really wanted to spend most of our time talking about those things and first really about cost and, and some of the things that are happening, trends that are happening in the market and, and how Harvard Pilgrim is approaching these things. So the health insurance premiums are driven by the, the cost of care. Right. Uh, so people will complain about administrative expense and you know, executive pay and stuff like that. But but when 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 you know the business, and you understand the, the fundamental financials of this business, you understand that claims cost drive premiums. I mean, that's just the bottom line. And so uh, and so one digital, we're always looking for for business partners, for solutions uh, with with carriers that are that are really being out front. Uh, in in terms of tackling the underlying cost of healthcare, and so probably the the main component to 
to that cost is uh, utilization is obviously very important in utilization management, but but sort of unit cost. And so, what's what's Harvard Pilgrim's view of the world as it come, as it, as we sort of talk about this move to value? Okay, getting away from just paying for for pure volume of care and really tying reimbursement to providers to the quality of the care and the outcomes that they're delivering. Can, can you talk about that a little bit? At the top of our call, we talked about it seems to be COVID-19 24-7, um, but the reality uh, of it is as a health plan, we still do need to be very focused on that underlying cost. Uh, mm. So in some ways, we're running two parallel tracks that although we're very focused on what's happening with COVID-19, in a lot of other ways, it's also business as usual. You know, so from Harvard Pilgrim's perspective, it's it's not a one-size-fits-all situation. Um, you know, whether it is in terms of how we work with a client, uh, be it fully insured, self-insured, size of the client. You know, the same holds with provider groups. Um, you know, and certainly our experience, uh, you know, throughout New England, is that uh, you've seen one state, you've seen one state from a provider perspective. Very different. <laughs> Um, in terms of, uh, you know, where providers may be um, in terms of their ability, um, you know, to work with a health plan such as Harvard Pilgrim um, around based care, um, as an example. Um, so, you know, we've, we've looked at and we continue to evaluate um, ACO models, um, as an example. Um, we've been very successful in some of the other uh, states in which we do business where we have a larger presence from a member perspective. Um, in terms of really looking at those partnerships, um, developing centers of excellence uh, throughout New England, um, partnering with uh, United Healthcare, which uh, manages, as you our uh, network outside of New England on a seamless basis, partnering with them um, in mm -hmm. terms of centers of excellence. We are looking at bundled payments um, where it seems to make sense for certain providers. Um, so all of that really does play into the whole notion of um, you know, of value-based uh, care. And it really is a strategy that we're employing state by state, um, as well as provider group by uh, provider group. You know, we talked about the actuarial team. I like the analogy, busy beavers, and I can't wait to go back and tell them that was the comment that you made. Um, but if I look at my provider contracting team, they are as well, um, because they are, uh, you know, continuing to work with providers, albeit on a virtual base today, um, in terms of how do we, ensure that our members and our employers who are ultimately paying the bill um, are receiving value out of um, the health plan. So I'm sure you have some other questions for me. I'd love to continue to expand on that. Uh, yeah. What other questions you have? Well, I guess I guess I would start by, you know, what what's Harvard Pilgrim's, um, you know, M&A, and I guess you could probably start in the markets where you're, you're sort of more mature with your book of business in, in Massachusetts in particular and the, the accountable care organization. So for those who I think most, most of our listeners know ACO is accountable care organization. Uh, but, but every care has got a little bit of a different philosophy there. And are, are, is, is your ACO philosophy centered around sort of facilities and systems or individual providers and sort of steerage of members to PCPs that are really, really the directors of 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 care, uh, accountable care. Yeah, it's it's really a combination of, and, and a lot of that also oftentimes gets driven by the product. Um, you know, so there are some states, for example, Massachusetts is a good example. Um, a lot of health plans, uh, a lot of employers have PCP driven models. 
Um, so in yeah. those cases, you know, it makes a lot of sense to include, um, you know, the broader, uh, not just the facilities, but the broader physician base, um, you know, in some of our shared space programs. Um, in some other states where maybe an open access HMO without a PCP or gatekeeper uh, is required, or certainly in a PPO environment, uh, you know, oftentimes it becomes much more focused at the facility level. Um, mm -hmm. That's why I said it's important to understand it's not a one size fits all because it really will vary. Yeah. Yeah. Does the sort of consolidation that we've seen in the delivery system and healthcare in, in, um, over the last, you know, five, 10 years, does that create a, an even bigger challenge for the carriers? Paul, do you think that, that now you've got consolidated, you've got some of these, big, particularly up in, in, in Eastern Massachusetts, really big kind of powerful healthcare systems, delivery systems that, how's it working with those folks? Yeah, well, you know, I, I think, you know, where there are challenges, um, you know, I think there's also certainly opportunities. Uh, and it, it feels to me um, that more and more, you know, regardless of the consolidation or not, providers, health systems understand their part in the equation. Um, mm. and, and, and really, you know, I've seen them here in Connecticut, certainly, and, and I'm sure that it's elsewhere, you know, throughout our region, um, coming to the table with health plans to collaboratively figure out how can we solve this very complex issue of cost of care. Um, again, yeah. whether it means bundled payments for a certain provider group, um, whether it means some risk sharing, um, that all really depends or how do we drive care through uh, you know, PCPs as the coordinator of care. Um, so despite that consolidation, um, I do think that you know, both health plans as well as um, provider groups are trying to figure it out. Yeah, I think that's an important message and important for people to know is that sort of helping to drive this move to value, it is, I mean, the, the provider communities, they understand that, you know, this company problem to solve, right, or a payer problem to solve that really be a paradigm shift in, in how payer and the insured and the, and the delivery system all sort of come together to control costs because, you know, if we don't figure it out, then, you know, that just increases the chance that the, the I guess that, uh, I don't want to get too political here, but that the government just steps in and say, oh, we're going to do it. And back to your comment about we're seeing some consolidation in the provider community. Oftentimes, because of that consolidation, the larger a provider becomes, um, they do have somewhat of a better opportunity to be able to help manage that risk. So that's, again, where I said there's a challenge, there's also an opportunity. You know, we right. certainly do see that as a potential opportunity, their ability to manage that risk, the more aggressive shared savings model. And, and get at data. The bigger the healthcare system, the more data. And when you start talking about centers of excellence and, and using evidence-based medicine for, for developing best practices and, and rooting out waste and delivering the right result the first time, um, which is really what, it, what a center of excellence is going to do, right? That the bigger actually could be better there. Well, yeah. And, uh, you know, you got a good point about the data. So data really does need to drive a lot of these decisions, not only on the health plans perspective, but also from a provider um, perspective. Um, so typically the larger an entity becomes, the more um, ability they have to really digest and understand and act upon uh, the data, because typically shared savings models that Harvard Pilgrim would enter into, we are looking for some sort of clinical improvement over time. Um, and so you really need to look at baseline data and then ongoing data to understand, is that, a, is that occurring? Um, and then as you're tackling the whole issue 
cost of care, it doesn't need to be risk adjusted because you know one provider may have a very different population um, sure. than another, whether it's urban or rural or whatever the dynamics may be. Um, so there does need to be that ability to massage, take a look at that data on a risk adjusted basis to uh, you know, take a look at the clinical improvement over time. Yeah. Paul, can you, you mentioned something called bundle payments a couple of times already. And, and um, just for our listeners, why don't you just kind of take a minute and explain what, what do you mean by a bundled payment? And then second part of that is, you know, where is Harvard Pilgrim? It sounds like you guys are working on expanding your list of, of episodes of care where you can actually you know, negotiate bundled payments with you know, pods of providers that are, so explain that to me and kind of where Harvard Pilgrim is in the evolution of this move to, to a bundled environment. Yeah, sure. So probably the best example that, uh, you know, listeners uh, may find easy to comprehend is if you take a look at knee surgery. Um, so knee surgery is an example. It's not just the cost of the actual surgery that one has. Uh, there's pre-op care, there's post-op care, there's follow-up care. Um, there's a lot that goes into the cost um, or the quality of that surgery. Um, so a bundled payment would be a situation whereby Harvard Pilgrim or any health plan for that matter uh, would agree with a provider on a set payment for that overall um, overarching procedure, not just the surgery, agree for a payment based upon that. You know, ideally there's some quality metrics that are tied um, to that uh, bundled payment as well, so that the provider and the health plan, Harvard Pilgrim, are able to measure the quality over time um, in this example of, of knee surgeries. Um, so bundled payments are something that we're actively uh, pursuing here in Connecticut. We do feel that we're starting to get um, at the right size in terms of membership, um, where providers are willing to enter into those sorts of uh, relationships. And, and, and I mentioned before, I, I again, sense that collaboration um, like never before in terms of um, our providers being willing to take a look at something like a bundled payment as an example. Yeah. Yeah. So just to, to even further kind of explain this for folks is, you know, I- instead of instead of the insurance company gets a separate bill from the orthopedic surgeon and the, the anesthesiologist and the the OR and the physical therapist and and the pharmacist and so on and so forth, uh, that all adds up to $60,000. Maybe this group of providers comes together and says, look, we could, we could manage this to a $40,000 cost because we figured out how to do it well, how to do it right the first time, how to get rid of waste, how to avoid post-surgical complications, emergency room visits, et cetera, et cetera. And so we'll take 40000 you pay us up front, and we're never going to ask for another Penny, where that's going to cover that whole episode of care that that's which I think is you know that is the for me that's like the the, the pinnacle of the move to value is to say you know let, let let's let's actually have groups of providers sort of compete on on a, a bundled episode of care in that way yeah you're, you're spot on uh, with uh, with your example absolutely so what what else in terms of the uh, of this cost of care? We sort of talked about. I, I mean, I guess centers of excellence ties to the bundled payment because you referenced centers of excellence as well. And in my mind, that ties to the idea of a bundled payment. Um, but but a center of excellence, you know, how do you how do you guys define at Harvard Pilgrim a center of excellence, or how widespread is your usage usage of centers of excellence? Are there particular conditions now where you're going to steer members to centers centers of excellence? Can you talk about that a little bit? 
Yeah, so it's not something that we've done widely um, at this point. And, and actually, a lot of it is because if we, as we've taken a look at some of our provider contracts and tying those to quality behaviors already, uh, we found that there was not necessarily a need from a cost perspective um, to move to widespread centers of excellence. Um, having said that, uh, continuing to look at ways to uh, manage care, manage costs, um, that is something that we're continuing to take a look at uh, in the future. At this point, again, not necessarily widespread, uh, but something that we're continuing to uh, try to evaluate. And it's not widespread because we already are seeing some of those quality metrics that you would see in a Centers of Excellence anyway without necessarily seeing the Centers of Excellence. Let's shift, Paul, to prescription drug costs, right? Sure. Uh, a, another thing that has for years now been sort of keeping everybody in, in the industry uh, up at night, the prescription drug trends have been double digits and, and sometimes, you know, up in the high teens and maybe even 20s. So what's Harvard Pilgrim doing related to to, to sort of tamp down the uh, the trend on pharmacy benefits? Yeah, so a couple things. Um, and, and I think one of the most that does differentiate Harvard Pilgrim is back to our conversation value-based care, looking at it just on the, the provider, the physician system basis. Uh, we've really also extended that to the pharmacy basis. Um, so although we do have a PBM, a pharmacy benefit manager with whom uh, we work, we actually do have direct contract relationships uh, with several manufacturers directly, um, so that we really do take a look at certain pharmaceuticals, um, making sure that in aggregate for our population, that the, uh, the, the outcomes um, as described actually are what we see. Um, and a good example of that is uh, we worked with uh, an organization called Spark Therapeutics. Uh, they have a gene therapy uh, drug and we've worked with them and that, that gene therapy drug, it, it basically works um, you know, for people who have certain inherited forms of blindness. Um, it's a drug called Luxturna. So we've worked with Sparks Therapeutics um, and we've actually agreed to um, payments based on the outcomes of that drug. So if the drug does not deliver for our population as prescribed through Sparks Therapeutics, there's actually rebates that would come back through the health plan into Harvard Pilgrim um, as a result of that. So that, that's one unique way uh, that we've targeted that. I think we were one of the first um, health plans in the country to take a look at that value-based contracting. Um, and we actually have over a dozen different value-based contracts in place today um, with different pharmaceutical manufacturers. Um, so that's one way. Um, another way, you know, we continue to take a look at who our partners are. So much like your clients, Jeff, are always looking at you know, who their potential partners are in terms of a health plan or other vendors that they may tack on to that health plan, uh, we continually evaluate our relationships. Um, so we did recently uh, enter into a new PBM relationship as of this January um, with OptumRx, and as, uh, we're anticipating some significant savings uh, through that particular relationship. Um, and as a matter of fact, we have seen our trend, um, our overall trend come down about a point or two um, based on some of those savings that we're expecting through the pharmaceutical side through that uh, new relationship and some of the uh, initiatives that we will have with OptumRx. So on that engagement with OptumRx, does that mean that you're also leveraging the, the, the rebate pass along to the actual consumers getting, getting uh, benefiting from rebates or, or does that not extend into the Harvard Pilgrim program? 
Yeah, at this point, that's not something that uh, has extended into the Harvard Pilgrim program. Um, we were very interested, as you can imagine, it's a big undertaking to switch PBMs. So yeah. I'd say all focus was on making the switch successful. Um, yeah. I can tell you from a personal experience, my son um, went on January 1st to get a prescription. I instructed him never to do that again, um, <laughs> but it worked. So uh, from a service perspective, that's really what our focus was for January. And now we're in the process of working with Optum to see um, you know, how do we expand that relationship um, and some of the programs that you just mentioned that I know are available through Optum, you know, how do we leverage those for our membership? So that's something we'll continue to look at uh, over time. That's funny. We always, I mean, we always, you know, when, when we're in open enrollment meetings with clients, it's like you, someone is going to have to get a prescription drug yeah. on January, you know, assuming it's a January 1 renewal, right? It's going to happen. And that is a big undertaking. I mean, we can certainly appreciate that a switch in, in pharmacy benefit managers a, a a big deal it's just funny how you know in this country i i was watching i'm going to blame this on my two daughters they, they were with me the other night so we were watching um the bachelor listen to your heart edition of the bachelors with <laughs> a bunch of musicians in a mansion together um trying to find love anyway <laughs> I digress, but but I'm looking at the the, the commercials. I, I swear, I think one out of every three commercial was for was for a specialty drug. It, you know, it's just it's just incredible. And so on the specialty drug side, I mean, you mentioned the gene therapies, which is sort of this explosive new world that we're in and and hyper expensive. But in specialty drugs in general, anything in particular, uh, like what are you doing uh, in terms of leveraging coupons and 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 copay assistance for for members when they need a specialty drug? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, and and I'll maybe make it a little bit broader than that. Um, so one of the benefits of Harvard Pilgrim, uh, and this this now I'm talking about our self-insured uh, relationships. The level of flexibility we have is tremendous. Um, so, for example, if you have a client, Jeff, that's self-insured, um, and they already have their own PBM relationship. Um, and it could be one of the big national PBMs, or maybe it's a boutique, smaller uh, PBM. We have the ability basically to plug and play, for lack of a better term, um, with our ASO chassis for those relationships. So if you find a client um, that already has relationships that are, are, are very solid and you want to continue those, um, there's a very good chance that we can integrate them into the medical program on a self-insured basis. Separate from that, because we do have relationships with so many PBMs, and again, I'm talking more right now about self-insured, is a good example. Uh, we partner with a firm called Southern Scripts. Southern Scripts actually, rather than rely on the member to go on their computer and find out or their smartphone to see if there's a coupon for a particular drug, uh, Southern Scripts actually will scan the internet looking for coupons for members and then delivering them at the point of sale um, so that a member doesn't even have to think twice about that. So that's one example of where we're trying to be very, uh, very nimble and, um, and unique. So that's a great segue into, because I, I, I want to get to the, the member experience, the service, yeah. uh, the, 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 the navigation, helping people sort of find their way successfully through this often complex, scary, fragmented, siloed, healthcare system and, and sometimes very confusing benefits. And Paul, you and I have been around a, a little while. We know that traditionally the health insurance carriers, and, and I'm not bashing you guys, I, I worked on that side of the house for many years, they weren't known for delivering the best member service, right? And certainly not 
for a, a product, if you will, that can be so complex and stressful and confusing for somebody. What's Harvard Pilgrim doing on that front in terms of, uh, you call it concierge member service, health navigation, helping people get through whatever healthcare journey that, that they're on without being overwhelmed and, and confused and scared and frustrated? Yeah, that's a good question. And and I think, as you know, Jeff, um, member satisfaction with their health plan um, is not just necessarily about the service that I receive when I call the toll-free member services number. Much more than that, it's, uh, it's my access to care. Um, my health literacy as a consumer also certainly plays a point into that. You know, does my health plan recognize that my health literacy may differ from yours, as an example, or from my 21-year-old son that I mentioned a few minutes ago? Um, we obviously are all very different in terms of in that. So that all plays a role in satisfaction. Um, so much like I said, as we approach our providers, um, it's not one size fits all with our members either. Um, so we have actually developed what I think is a very unique program called Smart Start. Um, and that is a program we will engage uh, new business clients. So Jeff, let's say you bring a client um, over to Harvard Pilgrim for June 1st. Um, you tell me today that this client is coming over to Harvard Pilgrim for June 1st. Um, we will implement the Smart Start program, which allows members to start engaging with Harvard Pilgrim member services concierge team immediately, not having to wait until the effective date. Um, and that does a few things. That one, um, you know, make sure, make sure that that member has a good welcome experience, um, a good onboarding experience with us. Uh, but more importantly, if it is a member that has some significant care needs, um, chronic illnesses, um, claims in the past that they're concerned about how they will be handled going forward, um, that member services team paired with a nurse coordinator um, is able to make sure that that member, even prior to the effective date, is set up for health coaching um, as of the effective date. Um, so we found a lot of success with that. That's something we just rolled out as of this January. Um, by all accounts, uh, we're getting a lot of good reviews from both members as well as employers that have utilized um, that service um, because it really is a way to help steer uh, members to make sure that they're getting what they need and that we understand, like I said, health literacy being very different for any given member, making sure that we're working with them accordingly um, and we're not, just, uh, we're not just there to answer questions about ID card or, or claims. We're really there to um, act as that, uh, as that health coach. You know, beyond that, it goes into, you know, the digital experience um, as well. So we are developing, or actually have developed a, uh, a digital welcome kit. Um, so a good example there that a lot of uh, listeners may find interesting is um, members can download ID card into their Apple wallet um, so that I have that with me at all times. It's great kids in college. You're traveling on business, on vacation. You need access to that. You know, that's just one way that we're, we're really looking at enhancing the digital um, experience. And then we've taken it a step further in that, um, as you can imagine, you know, many of us don't answer our home phone anymore if you even have a landline. And uh, we may not answer our cell phone necessarily, but a lot of us will text. Um, so we've actually been working with uh, members in some of our chronic care areas with nurses, where the nurses and the member through a secure portal can actually text message one another something that we're continuing to pilot and we think will lead with uh, a lot of success going forward. But just a couple of ways that we're really recognizing, like you said, we really need to meet members where they are um, and not necessarily where we are. Well, so first of all, let me step back. You mentioned a concierge service team, Paul. You said so you knew the, the, that a new member 
can have access to this concierge team prior to even their effective date with Harvard Pilgrim. Is this concierge team, is that is that a, a separate team for, uh, is, is that a buy-up or is that, we'll talk about that concierge team and what they do and what that means. Yeah, so for all of our fully insured clients, um, up to a thousand lives, um, it is embedded in their program at absolutely no cost. You know, as you can imagine, we evaluated it should it be a buy-up, but we believe strongly enough um, that it's important for members to have that access to care. Again, even prior to the effective date, we thought that was a niche that we could try to uh, fill. So it is included at no cost, um, and it is actually a dedicated team. Um, so the member is not calling into, you know, I picture, sometimes people picture a call center of 100 different reps um, taking phone calls. That's not what it is. I'd almost say it's boutique service. So it's uh, the member is calling into um, a team that's actually embedded within the sales support organization. You know, that team member has access to um, a nurse in the example I gave before where I as a member, you know, may, may need some additional health coaching. So that call taker is able to connect um, that member in a seamless way uh, to a nurse in that example. Is that concierge team, that's something pre-effective date and then post-effective date, it, it, then every, all inquiries would go into sort of the general member service team? If I'm a new member for a, um, uh, an existing group, I still yeah. would have access to that smart, smart, smart start call. You know, quite honestly, Jeff, anybody that calls into that, they'll get service. Um, we're not going to turn them away. Um, yeah. The intention really is how do you capture as many members up front um, prior to the effective date? Because as you can imagine, if, if we're talking about a, a 250 life-sized fully insured case, carriers are not sharing data between one another in terms of who's in care management and who needs um, you know, certain services. Um, so that's really why we're relying on that, uh, that ability to capture those members up front. And can post-effective date or for a non-new member, is there a way for them to engage with member services um, via, via text? Pretty much telephonic right now. The, uh, yep. the digital, a lot of the digital enhancements that I talked about in terms of texting, that's really taking a look at how do we engage members uh, from a uh, care perspective. Got it. And and if somebody calls, if somebody calls into the, the member service line, Paul, and, and they're just kind of confused about, geez, you know, um, my, my doctor said I, 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 I have to go get this procedure and they told me to go here. I'm trying to get at sort of navigation and helping people be better consumers and, and sort of find the right side of service and find those providers that are engaging with Harvard Pilgrim in a more collaborative way and, and helping to kind of contain costs and maybe even taking on some quality, um, you know, some risk and some have some skin in the game in terms of their compensation. So how do you help members with that? Uh, yeah, so I can't say that we're necessarily directing members to specific providers in those mm. uh, in those situations, albeit we do obviously, you know, have a fair number of hospital clients that are interested in directing care into their own um, health system. So we can be usually very flexible with them to, you know, yeah. help your members um, accordingly. And that's also usually done through plan design. Um, you know, but outside of that, we're not necessarily trying to steer members to a particular um, provider. I'm not sure if that helps answer your question. Yeah, no, no, it does. Now, if somebody, now your webs, the functionality of the website and provider search though, I mean, if, if, if um, somebody wants to find somebody who's within a, an accountable care organization, then, then obviously the website's going to help them do that. 
Yeah, so we, you know, in those cases, certainly where um, you know a member is looking for particular providers, um, we do indicate that, um, and then certainly in markets where we have uh, tiered health plans, uh, tiered networks, yep. um, there's also identifiers typically within uh, the website that will drive people to those tiered providers. I know that you know Harvard Pilgrim has historically been been known for sort of the quality of the of the service that folks get uh, that you guys have really focused on that uh, historically. Listen, Paul, what, what, any other sort of trends in the Connecticut marketplace you, that, that you think we should talk about that we didn't talk about or any, anything else that maybe we missed that you, you want to touch on today? Yeah, I think we, we talked a lot about it through our conversation, Jeff. So, you know, just to sort of recap, I would say it's a few things. I, I do see that collaboration is, is really, you know, continuing to you know, move, move in the right uh, direction you know, among payers, providers, employers, brokers, and consultants, I, I really do see that that's, that's continuing to increase. Um, in addition, I think there is more of a focus on that value-based care, and that's probably an outgrowth of that increased um, collaboration. You know, I think over time, we're going to start to see, like we see in some other New England states, um, more gravitation toward tier networks, maybe even limited networks. I know that's not been something that's caught on historically in Connecticut. I think that, uh, you know, those will be things that we're continuing to, uh, you know, take a look at and continue to um, evaluate. And then I do think that there's, um, you know, even at a small level, a heightened member awareness of what it truly means to be a consumer of care. Um, and that by that, I don't mean just focusing on the price, but also trying to understand the quality um, as well. So I, I think those are things that we'll continue to see going forward. All right. Well, so we should probably wrap up then. I took a, a more of your time than you wanted me to probably, but uh, we do always end, Paul, with hopefully you didn't get a heads up on this. I like to catch people off guard. We always end up with a few rapid fire questions that we like to ask our guests. Okay. I'm game. I had my cup of coffee this morning. Yeah. This is so our listeners will, will be able to get to know you a little bit better, right? Cats yeah. or dogs? Uh, dogs. Favorite band? Uh, Depeche Mode. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? Seeing into the future. If you weren't doing what you do now, Paul, what would you be doing? Uh, running a bar on a Caribbean island. <laughs> uh, do you need someone to attend bar with you? Absolutely. All comers. All comers are welcome. All right. I'm, I'm in. And lastly, Paul, our theme this year at One Digital is being bold. So what does being bold mean to you? Uh, you know, I would say being bold really does mean um, taking initiative, not resting on your laurels, and, and really looking at uh, what do your constituents, what do your uh, prospects, your clients need. Awesome. Paul, thanks a lot for joining us today. I really do appreciate you taking the time with everything going on uh, out in the market right now and in our world, so taking the time to speak with our listeners about what Harvard Pilgrim's doing uh, both in response to COVID-19, but as well as just focusing on your core competency and, and driving costs down and improving uh, the member experience. So uh, really do appreciate it. Everyone, thank you so much for listening. If you like this episode, please leave a review. As always, be sure to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. If you subscribe, you'll know when the next episode is going to drop and you won't miss any. So thanks again for tuning in, everyone. This has been another episode of Friends with Employee Benefits and HR.